You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the weed-infested Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another aquatic episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. Invasive weeds and waterways are some of the toughest plants to control. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll reveal several options for combating tough and tenacious aquatic weeds. Plus, we'll take that heap and helping of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and garrulously grandiose glorifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you actually seeing the water in your lake or pond again right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and later on in the show, we are going to discuss a tough topic, getting rid of invasive water weeds. There are many benefits to doing so, but removal has proven to be difficult. I'll tell you what I learned in researching the options at the end of the show. In the meantime, as many as your fabulous phone calls as we can plug in. 888-492-9444. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. It's great to be on with you. I look forward to you answering this question that I have. Help me out. Okay. Where are you, Joe? I am on the northern edge of the Mark Twain National Forest in the Ozarks of Missouri. It's beautiful here. Well, okay. Um, is the climate as humid as, say, St. Louis in the uh, in the summer, or you get a little relief out there? Oh, my gosh. It, I came here from West Texas, uh, the Midland-Odessa area, and it was quite dry. Mm-hmm. I got here, and, and the summers are brutally humid but the, the falls and the springs are so wonderful i i'll accept the the punishment yeah but but it is punishment uh never forget the time i visited st louis and decided i was going to be like al gore jr and take public transportation from the airport to my hotel uh, i should have had a boat <laughs> all right what could we do for you sir I have a love of garlic, as I, I know you share the love of garlic for all its uh, great flavor and its medicinal purposes. And I've got raised bed garden about 250 feet, linear feet, broken down into from 80 feet to 11 foot uh, uh, sections so I can rotate the crops around. And mm-hmm. I've, I've taken the growing garlic the last couple of years and when I harvest, it's all hardneck, Good. different varieties of hardneck. I wasn't sure if this area was okay for softneck, so I went with hardneck. And I'll ask you about that later. But uh, 
when I harvest the garlic, I do as you suggest. I take it out. I lay it out on the table in the shade with the fan. Let it dry for a couple of weeks until you know everything looks nice and dry. And the first year was uh, that I harvested was last year, 21, and I tied the garlic. I left the stalk on or, or the center part, and I tied them together and hung them in the garage, and then just used them, cut them off, and used them. About this was in July I harvest, so I start noticing about. August to September, these little tiny moths are all around my garlic. And I start opening the garlic cloves up, and there are little worms inside, little larvae that are eating my garlic. Am I bringing these pests in from the garden, or are they attacking my garlic afterward? Oh, uh, you're doing it. You're doing it. Um, Now, are you sure these are moths? Because there is a well-known and nefarious pest of garlic called the allium fly. And this is a fly, not a moth, that lays its eggs on the outside of alliums. That includes garlic, onions, leeks, and other plants. And uh, it frustrates garlic growers to no end. So I want you, uh, after we're done, to go online and look up the allium fly and see if um, these creatures are allium flies. I mean, there there are bees that look like wasps. There's bees that look like flies. There's flies that look like, you know, there are many imitations in nature. Will so, these allium flies be similar to like onion maggot flies? Well, uh, they might be the same, the same thing. They might be the same creature. The word um, maggot also refers to the larva of a fly. So, mm, okay, I think you got flies. Um, <laughs> no okay, the, the characteristic of these little th- they they flitter like moths. They don't move particularly like flies but i'll i'll investigate that i'm bringing them in from the garden is that what they're inside the bulbs when they when they come in okay they're they're already there i'm i'm just transporting them yeah the the female uh lays an egg the maggot comes out and burrows its way inside the bulb and feeds slowly and eventually will emerge as an adult now, one wow. incredibly positive thing you can do is to hang flypaper all around that garage and uh, yellow sticky traps. Um, I did that, and I have I have tons of little mothy-looking creatures stuck to them. Okay, good. Well, you want to knock down um, this generation, so at least you know okay. they don't. These specific ones don't go out and lay eggs on your next run of garlic. Now, have you taken well, any? Well, what I did, I just planted some, and I checked each clove and you know, to inspect it as much as I could to make sure I didn't transport any out into the garden. I don't think they come out on cloves. They wait until the bulb is fully developed, and then okay. the adults, which are just ubiquitous in the atmosphere, come and lay their eggs on that. Um, one of many, many insects that is dedicated uh to pesterizing um, a very specific plant or a genera of plants. Right, okay. So, Great. well, I'm going to look that up. Yes, and, yeah. yeah, okay, good. So trap as many as you can. 
Um, and you said you've already planted. And yes, it would be good not to plant any damaged cloves. Um, I, right, have, I checked I, each clove and made sure that it wasn't damaged or it looked like it had. You know, if it, I didn't make sure, if it was in the paper, make sure it wasn't soft or had. Right. Uh, they look. They seem to be all okay. Good. Good. Yeah, and you planted individual cloves. Oh yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, spaced, spaced out. I've had good luck with the crops, and man, the the garlic scapes are just fantastic, and I've really gotten into fermentation, lacto fermentation, and they are great lacto fermented. As well, is the garlic. I listened to your show a couple of weeks ago, and you were you were discussing how to preserve garlic, and I just wanted to insert lacto fermenting garlic is a great way that I've found to preserve it. Uh, just like you would sauerkraut. It's great. Oh, okay. That sounds good. I can I can uh, hear that. Now, um, yeah. what I... Have you broken up... Of course, if you're planting cloves, you have to break up the bulbs. Have you broken up right. a damaged bulb and found, like, good cloves as well as the damaged ones? Yes, uh, that has been... Uh, not all the bulbs are damaged. I'll, I can break one open. I, I just got through taking them all apart. I was under the assumption I was supposed to leave the bulbs together after they've dried. Yeah. And uh, do you break them apart after they've dried? Yeah, because with our hardneck garlics, we got to do something with it pretty quickly. Um, they'll be sprouting okay. by okay. now. So, yeah, you got to uh, preserve it or use it. Whereby with soft neck garlic, right. which you should be able to grow, um, it doesn't taste as good. It doesn't look as good, uh, but it will, you can leave the heads together for a year and they won't sprout. Uh, but they don't, oh, um, okay. but they don't scape either. You don't get those scapes in late oh, spring. Oh, I love those scapes. They're so tasty in food and, and again, yeah. the lacto ferment. Oh, they're great. I don't think you're doing anything uh, The other wrong. thing I was going to ask you, uh, uh, nematodes. I've, I'm going to apply Garden Army nematodes for the first time. Hmm. Will that help with these or not? Um, beneficial nematodes prey on soft-bodied pests um, like different forms of, of larva, Japanese beetle larva, and things like that. Um, and they're a wonderful... Uh, kind of addition to the organic arsenal. So go ahead. I would do it. Yeah. I've, uh, Gardens Alive, I'm awaiting their shipment as we speak. Okay, great. And, uh, well, I would put them in the fridge or whatever because you want to go to your state extension website and see when the allium fly is active in your area. I don't think they're going to do you okay. any good if you put them in now because the flies aren't out. You want to see what the emergence time is and then be ready with the beneficial nematodes. Okay. Well, I've got a lot of other pests here in the forest to deal with, so I, I, I'll probably apply now and in the spring as well. Okay. And one other thing that you need to do is get floating okay. row covers, lightweight floating row covers, Put those. I already ordered those. Okay, Great. good. So, yeah, you'll put those over your garlic. You'll make sure the sides are sealed. And then the adult fly can't get near your crop. Oh, okay. Put that out after they, before they skate. What, at what point? That's what I'm going to find out from the extension of when these flies attack. Yes. But uh, the 
the floating row covers stay on all season long, so you can put those out now. Oh, okay. Even oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got it set up where uh, I took some uh, my size of my raised beds are are taller than the the soil level, and I have so much forest around here. I went and cut down some cedar, mm-hmm. little small cedar trees about an inch in diameter, and I fashioned them across the top so the floating row cover has something to to hang on instead of just sinking down onto the plant. Right, and there are that pretty well. And there are also uh, very simple hoops you can buy to keep the row covers up high. Great. All right. And that's going to really help me out. I appreciate that. I'll do anything for a fellow garlic grower, Joe. <laughs> you take oh, care. I love garlic. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone who anxiously waits for this time of year to go leaf spotting that the combination of excessive moisture and premature leaf drop creates the perfect environment for ticks to prosper. So be sure to wear permethrin-treated clothing when outdoors. Have your pets treated and perform a thorough tick check after every outing. I'm Protective Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am still your host, Mike McGrath. They catch on slowly upstairs. And we have a real interesting question of the week for you about water weeds, aquatic weeds, weeds that famously clog up ponds and streams and waterways and do an incredibly amount of damage. Um, Of course, they're all alien invasives as well. So you won't want to miss that, even if you don't got no water of your own. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Jeanette, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to How have you. How are you today? I'm Ducky. <laughs> thanks for asking. Ducky is the happiest he's ever been because we just endured like six straight days of rain. I had trouble getting oh, yeah. him in from the pond to be on the show today. <laughs> Bad duck. Uh, where are you? <laughs> On uh, Hamilton, New Jersey, in Mercer County. Okay. And what can we do you for? Well, I am an, uh, a happy uh, first-year asparagus gardener with a lovely dedicated bed that's mm-hmm. 2 by 12. So it's filled with 24 asparagus plants, and they've been thriving. And the, the fronds are maybe three feet tall. They look so pretty. But as it gets colder, I'm wondering what I should do with all this massive, lush foliage when it dies for the season. So were you able to resist the temptation to sample a spear? 
I was, even though there was one. Yeah, I I resisted, even though my husband was very unhappy that he had to wait a whole year, but um, or two years. Um, There was one that was a good pencil size, but I did not cut it. Well, the rule with first year asparagus is to resist the temptation and let the plants, you know, bolt, so to speak, and develop into those gigantic fronds. Now, I advocate you can take a couple of spears next year, but they need to be slightly bigger than a pencil in diameter. Pencil size is when you stop harvesting. Um, And then by the third year, all rules are off. You know, you can go crazy. Now, there is very little agreement about exactly what to do with those fronds. The one point of agreement is not to touch them until after a really hard frost and they have clearly lost all their green color. Because as you may know, the reason those fronds grow up from the asparagus spears is to collect a lot of late season solar energy to fuel the growth of the roots underground, which produce the spears, of course. So it's very important not to touch them, you know, until you're only gardening with gloves outside. And I don't mean garden gloves, I mean Patagonia gloves. Then you have a choice. Uh, do you, did you grow all male varieties or did you grow Martha Washington? Uh, Martha Washington. That's funny you said that. <laughs> well, uh, there are two types of asparagus. There are the all-male varieties that um, do produce more spears, but then the original heirloom variety, open-pollinated, is Martha Washington. There's probably some other early versions, but that's the classic one. Uh, did you get berries mm-hmm. and everything? I did, on a few of them. Yeah. Now, very important for this question, did you see any asparagus beetles? No. Okay. They, not yet. No, no, no. They're not going to come out now. They're lighting up the wood stove, you know. Um, <laughs> so you have two choices. Without any signs of beetles, you can cut those fronds after a hard frost, not just a little, little mediocre frost, um, and you can lay them down as mulch. Or okay. if you have seen any beetles, you remove the fronds, take them somewhere, and, you know, I guess, although I'm not a real fan of burning, that's exactly what you should do to destroy the beetles and their eggs. And then you would hmm. mulch the bed with shredded leaves. But again, without, okay. without any sign of the beetles, you are perfectly welcome um, to cut up those fronds, especially not lay them down because as you mentioned, they're huge. Um, but cut them into, cut them into pieces and use them to mulch the asparagus bed. But otherwise you would remove them and cover the bed with a couple inches of shredded leaves to prevent heaving over the winter when the soil freezes and then thaws. Okay. Now, when you mentioned that I see any asparagus beetles, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the asparagus because I knew there wasn't much to do with them. All right. Hmm. 
So what would an asparagus beetle look like? Would it stand out? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty large, and people know them when they have them. Look it up online, but I, I trust that you didn't have them. And again, it's up to you. If you're like me and you shred up tons of fall leaves, it's a perfect mulch. Um, just make sure okay. the ground is frozen when you apply any mulch. That'll that'll okay. just keep everything at a steady temperature underground. Okay. So if I'm a nervous ninny and don't know whether I have asparagus beetles in there or not, um, I can use the mulch somewhere else in my garden, just not on the asparagus bed. No. Um, no. If you're not going to use, use the fronds on the asparagus out of fear of beetles, you want to destroy it or compost oh, okay. it in a truly hot system. Um, because okay. if you don't, you use it in another bed, well, they're just going to breed and come over to your asparagus. But I don't think you have them. Why don't you look them up online? And if you don't recognize them, uh, use the fronds. Or if you are a nervous Nelly, um, use shredded leaves. But either way, it sounds like you're off to a great start. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I need to know I have to wait till a good hard frost. Yes, that's the key here. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. I'm a big fan of your show. I've been listening probably since the beginning of your podcast. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We appreciate that greatly. You take care now. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Marlene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you, Mike. Greetings to you and Ducky this morning from back Pennsylvania. Oh, thank you. Ducky, uh, if, if we were still going to the folk festival, Ducky would love to swim in the creek there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> As I did when I was okay. younger and foolish. And then I took antibiotics. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what can we do you for? Well, I had a question about my lilacs. Mm -hmm. uh, I have five of them out at the corner of my property. Mm -hmm. And this spring, right after uh, they finished blooming, I went out and I removed all the spent blooms and I trimmed them up a little and thinned them out a little. And they looked great. And about five or six weeks ago, I looked at them and, well, they had sent shoots out every which way. So they weren't neat anymore. Mm -hmm. But... I said, well, Mike McGrath always says, leave things alone in the fall. So they'll just stay that way for the winter now. And then two or three weeks ago, they burst into bloom. <laughs> and I have, <laughs> well, I, I've had in the past maybe one or two little blooms show up in the fall, but they're just covered in blooms. 
And now I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do something or if I, am I going to get any flowers in the spring. So I thought I would ask Mike. So you haven't had a hard frost yet? This morning we had, I would say, a pretty hard frost. Um, I saw there was just a tiny bit of ice on the top of my bird bath water. Good, But good. I haven't seen any, da- any damaged plants out there yet. Yes, and thank you for reminding our listeners, if you don't know what to do, don't do it. So this has been happening more and more, uh, and it's total climate change. Our zones have changed. Our length of warm weather has changed. Our torrential rains and hurricanes have increased. So the poor plants, they just don't know what to do. Now, um, at least in your area, you will be getting... I think a super hard frost tonight and then an episode of warm weather. So you have two options. Um, You can cut the blooms and bring them inside or you can, you say you got five, right? Yes. You can th- uh, five plants, right? Five plants, a hundred blooms. <laughs> yeah, there okay. you go. Count them a hundred. Um, <laughs> I would suggest if you want to, because there's an Indian summer coming up. If you've been watching the weather, yeah, and you want to enjoy yeah. them a little bit longer, how tall are the trees? The the um, the shrub, the lilacs. Yeah, they're about they're about. Uh, I try to keep them like six, seven feet okay. because, so that I can reach up to get the spent blooms when it's time. Okay. That you know, sounds so. like a good idea. Um, uh, you don't happen to have row covers handy, those polyester blankets no. for frost protection? No. Do you have... No. Yeah, I didn't even ask you yet. How do you know you don't have the next I'm thing? sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you have any, okay. Do you have any old sheer curtains that you wouldn't mind i might so i might um if you like and you want to preserve them i think throwing a sheer curtain over the canopies uh, would do the job i use i use actual netting from my folk festival days the uh, mosquito netting for the front porch of my tent and, oh, yeah. you know, it has to breathe. You can't put a heavy blanket on it or even a sheet. I'm, I mean, if you're oh, going to okay. take it off first thing in the morning, yeah, you could use a thin sheet. The idea is okay. for something else, uh, giving the frost something else to settle on. Okay. And But you would want to get that off first thing. And maybe you split the difference. Maybe you... Uh, bring in, I mean, can you imagine how your house is going to smell if you bring in 50 of these puppies? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a wonderful smell. Yeah. It smells wonderful out there. Yeah. And so. um, and maybe protect one or two trees. You know, take, okay. take the ones from the outside first because they're at the biggest risk of frost. Okay. So okay, so that's that saves the the blooms that are out there now, mm-hmm. possibly. So do I? But does does cutting those off does that disturb uh, the cycle for springtime? Is the, that going to do anything? You know, 
the wrong? the rules have changed. When this has happened okay. to my azaleas and forsythia, um, okay. they bloomed. The forsythia bloomed perfectly the following um, spring. Azaleas, okay. the deer eat them before I can find out. But yeah. there is nothing else you can do. This is a very safe okay. time to harvest some flowers. And if you, if mm-hmm. you want to do the whole thing and be done, um, harvest them all. Wrap some of them in wet paper towels. Put them mm-hmm. into something like a Ziploc bag, but don't zip it. And put it in the right. refrigerator. Then when oh, the blooms inside okay. your house are fading, you can bring out fresh ones. Oh, good. Okay. Great and idea. Also, if you have Thanksgiving or Christmas at your house, I mean, who who else has lilacs on the table? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I have a turkey. I can put it right on the turkey's butt. It'll look really cute. So. <laughs> oh, God. I'll so, never... I'm never going to lose that image. You know, that was... I'll die with that burned into my brain. Well, um, so you think I might get some flowers next year? Nobody knows. I mean, in reality, we all, uh, professionals and dodos like myself, we're learning what's going to happen. But you will not decrease your odds of flowers by cutting those off. Oh, okay. That was my big concern. And okay. for instance, if you do nothing and they get frosted, I still want you to cut them off. Oh, okay. That that I wasn't sure of. That's why I that's why I wanted to talk to you. Okay. So well, Okay, so um, one way or another I will cut those blooms off. Yes, and I'm always okay. happy to confuse you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. All well, right. Thank you. You've been very helpful. I answered my questions. Thanks again, Mike. My pleasure. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that fall is the perfect time to feed a cool season lawn like fescue or bluegrass. And the easiest and most natural way to do this is to mow fallen leaves and grass clippings right back into your turf with a dedicated mulching mower. I'm dedicated Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and yes, cats and kittens, we are now in the stretch. In just a little bit, we'll talk about troublesome, invasive, aquatic weeds and the different ways you can try and control them. It's going to be amazing. Everything about this show is amazing. 
In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Jackie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thanks for making it, Jackie. How you doing? I'm awesome, man. Better <laughs> than I deserve. <laughs> well, that's always good to hear. And where is Jackie awesome? I'm in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Okay. And what can we do you for? Mike, I've got pantry moths. Mm-hmm. And every time I think I get rid of them, then I have another explosion. How can I get them out of my house and keep them out? Well, it's not that difficult. What have you tried so far? Um, well, I have uh, the, the pantry moth traps, mm-hmm. and then I emptied out my cupboard and wiped it down with, like, bleach water. Bleach? Um, don't, I, don't use bleach, Jackie. It's dangerous to you. And this isn't an infection or a pathogen. They're just little moths. So now, um, and your pantry moth traps have been working. You've, you know, the insides oh, are yeah. getting covered. Okay. Um, what's, yeah. what's in the pantry uh, that they could be feeding on? Uh, typically things like rice or cereals or snacks yeah mike that's what it is they get into my cereal boxes into like muffin mix mm-hmm. even when the containers are closed i open them up and have pantry moth larvae mm-hmm. and the webbing yes in a closed container well it's not closed to them um what you need to do <laughs> is go out to any home store or in this case, even a big box store that has a nice selection of housewares, and you buy, uh, what would you call them, Um, things to store your cereal in. Hard plastic with a hard plastic cover. You know, essentially containers. And get all of your grain-based material into them. But first, if you're going to use your existing material, um, Mm -hmm. actually, you know what? If it's not too expensive, you should probably throw it all out. Because even if you put it in the the freezer, you're going to have dead moths and dead larvae, which is actually a little bit more more protein for you. uh, But it might be too creepy, (laughs) even for a Halloween show. So... (laughs) Typically, the best way to do this is to start fresh. Um, You know, you don't have to worry about canned goods or jars or anything like that. But buy containers in which you can keep your cereal. And for smaller Mm -hmm. packages, uh, get big Ziplocs and put the packages inside the Ziplocs. And, of course, sanitation is everything. You just want to wipe down the um, inside of the pantry with soap and water. No need, no need for bleach. And um, put fresh traps out. Um, the traps alone cannot really control the pests, um, but they tell you when they're around again. And, you know, it, they can come in 
inside the packages. This is a huge problem in food processing. As you can imagine, you know, tons of grain moving around, it's almost impossible to keep them out. So a lot of times they come in on a product you purchased. But the idea is do a good cleaning, set out fresh traps, uh, buy all new grains, and um, keep them in sealed containers. The boxes are not good enough. I learned that personally the hard way. (laughs) Well, all right, Mike. That sounds like a great place to start. Yes, it makes your pantry look a lot more tidy, too. I got used to it real quick. Oh. oh, very nice. Hey, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, and you have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Yes, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling, Can Floating Goats Control Water Weeds? Yeah, we've lost it, kids. Roger, located between Coopersburg and Limeport in the beautiful Lehigh Valley, writes, I'm co-owner of a fishing lake in eastern PA. About four years ago, we were invaded by European water chestnut. I partially controlled these plants this summer using purely mechanical means pulling them out with rakes and pitchforks while standing on home-built rafts. Sounds fun. This plant, as you probably know, is an invasive species that is spread from New England down to Virginia. It makes fishing and even boating impossible as it grows thick in shallow, warm water. And the seeds are thorny. Do you know of an organic aquatic herbicide I can use to help control this species as well as hydrilla and algae? I know that aquatic plants make excellent fertilizer for gardens and I'm using them in my own garden. I offer them free to anybody willing to spend a pleasant hour or so on the lake collecting a bunch of it. I've collected tons, and it breaks down rapidly when set out on dry land. I'm wondering, would it be possible to feed this stuff to goats? And what if I put the goats on my rafts to eat the plant's rosettes? I would call this goats on floats. As for now, it's just this old goat, me, enjoying being out on the lake on my supersized stand-up paddle boards. I know other lake owners, including the state parks in the area, will be very interested in your answer. Thanks for your time, and I'll keep enjoying your program on NPR. I love this question. Like many others, it sent me deep diving into the research, which I just love. But before we get to what I learned, let's start with my first thoughts. Number one, fertilizer runoff. Okay, fish poop and dead fishes are also excellent fertilizers and support the growth of aquatic plants, both wanted and unwanted. We can't change that. But if nearby areas are treated with chemical fertilizers, the runoff feeds the bad plants, and that can be changed. Number two, boats. Before entering the water, they should be rinsed thoroughly with warm water, or salt water to ensure that they're not introducing any new plant parts to the lake. 
and not just motorboats. Kayaks, canoes, and such should also be thoroughly cleaned. Number three, the same is true on the back end. A washing station situated away from the lake should be used after every boating expedition, especially if the boater pushed through tangles of water plants. Okay, now, what can you do when these plants are already out of control? Again, these are tough weeds. When they cover the surface of a pond or a lake, they cut off sunlight and oxygen, which promotes algae growth and kills fish and other lake dwellers that depend on a decent supply of oxygen in the water. And these plants tend to spread and reproduce by virtually every means possible. I want to emphasize that I am far from an expert on this topic, but after many hours of research, I'm willing to present a plan. God help us all. First, mechanical removal. Roger's work with pitchforks and rakes is the classic control method, but I would also urge him to check out the specialized rakes on the market that are designed specifically for water weed control. They could be great time savers. And yes, the goats will gleefully eat these weeds after they're piled up and deposited on land. And they'll gift you with a different form of fertilizer as well. Over the past decade, motorized machines that cut and remove the existing growth of water weeds have become much more available and affordable. We'll link up to a great article about them at the Gardens Alive website. And the best DIY idea I came across was to remove all the cloth from an old box spring mattress and drag it slowly behind a boat, stopping frequently to unload the harvest. And after these harvests, there are several organic biologicals on the market that can be applied to quickly degrade any severed plant parts left behind, rid the area of algae, and make the water clear and return oxygen levels to normal. As with the machines we just mentioned, there will be links to these products when we post this article at the Gardens Alive website. Finally, we get to the goats. I love goats. They are incredibly smart and they love eating invasive plants. So enter Bruce Bradford of flockworks.us. That's flock as in flock of goats, works as in what I don't do, dot U-S. Anyway, Bruce was willing to answer my question. Do goats swim? Most of them don't, answered the professional herder of weed-eating goats in and around Cumberland County, PA. But there is a group that I call aquatic goats. These are generally the low-ranking goats in a herd, and they will venture into water if the alpha goats keep them away from tasty plants like poison ivy. In addition, young goats can be trained to be comfortable in water, but these specialized weed eaters need to be trained at a very early age. Okay, what about goats on boats? Says Bruce, I love it.
The boats need to be as large as possible and to move slowly through the infested area. Many people would be interested in the results. I very well may be testing this in the future to see if any of our goats will graze on our invasive water lilies. Interested in investigating goats that will eat your worst invasive weeds? The website HireGoats.com has a great map that shows the location and contact information for weed-eating goat herds for rent everywhere in the United States. Well, that sure was some interesting information about invasive water weeds now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. And remember, there's lots of links to extra information in this week's episode. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to water my weeds if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt dot o-r-g. And if you do email us, please include your location. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when the flash ran too close to him and accidentally slipstreamed him from Oklahoma City to Philadelphia just in time to enjoy his first cheesesteak. The living legend of South Street, Ken Queter, plays our theme music. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the always cheerful Charlie Sarah, except when his Mets leave. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your pretty garden pictures to post at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. As always, special thanks to our beloved band of hoodlums, thieves, and card sharks, Zach the Tack, Jacob Morris, and anybody else who's hanging out in the control room. Our beloved and bedraggled CEO and part-time belly dancer, Tim Fallon, is still late for meetings, 
still refuses to be called our executive producer and mysteriously disappears whenever the Joker is spotted near Easton. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be sitting outside, reading the paper, drinking strong coffee, and marveling at the fall color on the trees until I see you again next week. You've been listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden.